Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Milwaukee Mennonite Church. I'm Rachel Stolte. I'm your worship leader today. Um, Want to make sure everybody got one of these, our, our old green book, in addition to the new purple book. If not, you've got a little bit of time before we sing that song. Um, so let's see. Today's the first day of Lent. I'm the worship leader. Sam's in the tech booth. Hello to everybody on Zoom that's joining us. If you have any trouble, talk to Sam. Steve's going to be our song leader. Peter will be leading us in our reflection. Um, Eric's doing music for us. And we can start with announcements. So I have listed on the back of your bulletin upcoming dates and announcements and such. And um, also, I have several copies of the Leader, the Leader magazine. If you are interested in looking at it, um, I mean, you can access all the information like through our sign-up sheet. But if you want the actual physical copy, let me know. I've got them right there. Um, today, we're going to have Christian Ed and treats in the Fellowship Hall. Everybody's welcome to join us. I've got extra books, even if and it's up on the screen, even if you haven't joined before or if you missed a week or whatever. Anything else? Any other announcements that I have not listed? And as always, just keep an eye out on the on the listserv emails. So today is the first day of Lent, and our theme is provided by the leader book. It is called It is Christ is Among Us. This year, we will focus on covenants. We will see throughout history how God has made promises to us, how we have failed to keep them, but God's mercy and grace remains with us. Today, we start with one of the most well-known covenants, is the story of Noah. Often in Lent, we, walk, or we talk about our journey through the wilderness, representing God's 40 days in the wilderness. Last week, Amy's sermon, spoke so well to this. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, go back and listen to it. Um, she, she said she was not a fan of Lent being our wilderness or our brief time of trial, like, you know, only for 40 days, but not on Sundays. Um, it's more of a, t she said that it's more of a time, quote, to pack for the wilderness journeys that life will undoubtedly send us. So instead of just, um, what am I going to do for these 40 days? I'm not going to eat chocolate for 40 days. No. We are working on getting our backpacks ready for our whole life. So this was a perfect introduction for our Lenten materials. So our visual, yes, it's, it's a journey, but it's not just a 40-day journey. Today's visual represents our path toward God. It reminds us that even if we stray, God is always there to bring us back. The footprints are different sizes because we are all on the journey together. Um, there's small ones um, mentoring um, I just lost my place, sorry. Because we're all on the journey together, walking with each other, mentoring smaller feet, or being mentored by bigger feet. The bowl represents how God wants to fill us, 
as Amy said, with what we need for our lifelong journey. It's a round bowl because, our, because God's love for us is never ending. Each week, the visuals will change based on the theme. And on the back of your bulletin, I've also listed um, some questions that you can um, use to reflect and um, think about maybe what you're going to be putting in your backpack for your journey. And if you want, you can also take a footprint or matching feet, whatever you want, um, if you want to write on it or just as a reminder. So with that, we can start with that introduction. We'll start our worship. The call to worship is, in, is on your bulletin. And if you want to, you can stand. And it is based on Psalm 25. Teach us your pathways, O God. Our eyes and our souls are trained on you. For you are the greatest guide, and your path is always good. Other paths have left, us, have left us lost. Other ways have left us confused. You guide us along the trail of mercy. For our sinner and the saint, thou comes one way. All your paths are love made smooth by your faithful walking. We are led into the truth by following the tread of your feet. If you want to stay standing, um, turn in the purple book to 62 for our first song. Sixty-two. God is here among us. There's a third verse that's just the words are written on the right-hand side. We'll sing all three. and expectation. God. 
Our first reading is from Mark 1, verses 9 through 15. Now in those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my one dear Son, in you I take great delight. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, enduring temptations from Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels were ministering to his needs. Now, after John was imprisoned, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God. He said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. So, to help uh, introduce us to the church season of Lent, I brought along another one of Lori Everett from Madison Mennonite's creations. This is Lenny. Just go ahead and say my full name. Um, Leonard? Nah, the reason you finally picked me. My full name. This is um, Lenten Lenny. There it is. I wasn't sure how you'd feel about being so closely associated with the season of Lent. Well, it finally got me out of your sunroom, didn't it? No, oh, it's true. <laughs> so uh, all you Lententarians. What? What do you call people that do Lent? Uh, Lentites? Lentophiles? Okay, no, no. Oh, I got it. Lentils. Use lentils. Okay, maybe just Christians who are participating in the season of Lent. Well, that sounds generic. Okay, Mennonites, going through Lent. That just sounds sexist. What? And binary. What, what do you mean? What about womanites and humanites, huh? No, we're named after the early Anabaptist leader, Menno Simons. It's not gendered. Well, neither am I, but you clearly made a choice for me. Okay. That's not... You're... We're way off the subject here. Lent. Yes. I'm Lenten Lenny. Yes, and we're here to talk about the season of Lent, and specifically today, how you've lent people a lot of stuff. No, no. and now you'll want it back with interest. No, no, Lent is about reflecting on Christ's life and teachings. We start this week with Jesus beginning his ministry, and Lent will end with Jesus being crucified and put to death and, and put in a tomb. Well, that's a happy place to end. Well, then comes Easter, Jesus being raised from the dead. Easter comes right after we follow Christ through his teachings and ministry and death in Lent. So Easter's a season of resurrection and redemption. Right. But first, we got to do the season of Lent. Right. Which is a six-week march to the grave. Okay, it's not just that. I bet you'd have a cute, fluffy puppet up here for Easter, wouldn't you? I hadn't really thought about that. You use that bird puppet and that cat puppet for all sorts of conversations. I did use those puppets before, and I heard you had a new mascot for Pentecost last year, a burger. Yeah, and what does the rat get? The church season that nobody likes. Okay, that's not true. 
Oh, it's the time when people have to give up something that makes them happy, like chocolate or sweets, to think about hard things. Okay, sometimes people do do that. <laughs> you said doo-doo. <laughs> this could be a long six weeks. You're telling me. Listen, Lent is really powerful and important, and I'm so thankful for it. How's that? Well, you don't get to Easter without all of Lent. We don't get to those two R words you mentioned, resurrection and redemption, without the living and learning and trying and hoping that is this season. Okay, say more. Okay, there is another R word that accompanies this season. Oh, here we go. Repentance. Yeah, I heard that word before. It ain't nearly as nice as the one I was saying. Yeah, you may feel that way, but we don't get to redemption without repentance. And I know the word repent can make people feel icky, often because they've heard it used by people trying to tell others what to do, often in unhelpful ways. And you're not telling people what to do? Not specifically. Repentance just means turning toward God. I'm not telling anybody what or how they need to repent. That's where a lot of angry, frustrated people have gotten in trouble, mainly middle-aged white guys like you. True, but how do we need to repent? How do we turn toward God? Where have we lost our way? Where have we gotten distracted or have been focused on ourselves or on something else and need to reorient ourselves to following Christ? Well, that sounds a little less negative than I thought. Well, I hope so, because it's not supposed to be negative, but it also isn't usually super easy. Oh, here we go. Well, often recognizing what we've done wrong means saying that we've made mistakes, we've messed up. And if we mean that and feel that, then that often means saying that we messed up and we're sorry. We messed up and we're sorry to God. We messed up and we're sorry to God's creation. We messed up and we're sorry to others. We messed up and we're sorry for what we've done to ourselves. That don't sound easy at all. No, but it's important. And once we've done that, we can better see the hope and love in our world that is the good news of Jesus. I'll get to that in more in my sermon. Oh, wait, you're giving the sermon today? Yeah. I'm going to have to sit through that? Yeah. Brutal. I guess you've given up Brevity for Lent. Okay, so why don't you sum up what we've said then? Fine, it's Lent. Yep, and you lentils are going to be thinking and turning toward God. Repentance, yeah. And uh, remembering and seeing the good stuff. The good news? Sure. The good news that Jesus is going to say and do before he gets whacked. Okay, so uh, how do we repent? How do we say we're sorry? How do we see and share the good news? Well, those are excellent questions, Lenny. I'll try to talk about that some in my sermon, but they are also questions that we each need to ask ourselves, since the answer is going to be as unique and different as each one of us. Huh. But if any of you would like to talk with Lenny more after the service, I'll have him with me, and I think... We might be back other Sundays in Lent to talk about different parts of the Lenten journey. Yeah, I guess I could do that. As long as I don't got to eat no lentils. That's nothing to do with Lent. Good. Somehow it feels like false advertising, but I'm okay with that.
Thank you so much, Peter and Len Lenny. So learning about repentance is a good way to start off our time of confession. At the end of our confession that's printed in the bulletin, um, you'll see it says, looking at each other, say, you are beloved. And this might seem a titch awkward, but I have done it. And it is awkward, but it is also amazing to make, make eye contact with somebody and tell them, you are beloved. And to hear that back, it just like goes straight to your core. And I think that um, just that I would um, prep you for that upcoming awkwardness, but it's a good awkward. So um, if you want to grab your bulletin, God, on Ash Wednesday, we remembered our humanity, our fragility, our limits, our sinfulness, our need for repentance. Today, we come to you with this fresh on our minds as we continue our Lenten journey. We so often focus on the difficulty of our walk with Christ. Forgive us, Lord, when, our journey, when on our journey we forget your extensive covenantal love for the world. May we, May we honor you and your church. You are beloved. If you want to take your green book, 23, slowly turning, ever turning. A Song of Repentance, number 23.
Genesis 8, 9, 8 through 17. God said to Noah and his sons with him, I am now setting up a covenant with you, with your descendants, and with every living being with you, the birds, with the large animals, and with all the animals of the earth, leaving the ark with you. I will set up my covenant with you so that never again will all life be cut off by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is, this is the symbol of the covenant that I am drawing up between you and me and everything with you on behalf of the future generations. I have placed a bow in the clouds. It will be a symbol of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember the covenant between me and you and everything, every living being among the creatures. Floodwaters will never again destroy all the creatures. The bow in the clouds, upon seeing it, I, the bow will be in the clouds, and upon seeing it, I will remember the enduring covenant between God and every living being on all earth's creatures. God said to Noah, this is the symbol of the covenant that I have set up between me and all creatures on earth. In mentioning that I was preaching on the first Sunday of Lent this year, a couple people pointed out to me that it's not like there aren't hard things going on in our world. Do we really need the hardness of Lent? So in the spirit of the season, here are just a few of those hard things that I've heard named recently. The ongoing war in Ukraine, the heartbreaking atrocities we're witnessing in Gaza and the violence that's now spreading throughout the region, the rise of Christian nationalism with a leader who started an insurrection and very well might be president again. Oh, and is likely to accept his party's nomination right here in Milwaukee this coming summer. Rampant climate change that we've known about for decades and that we've done next to nothing as a society to address. We've had maybe one week of real Wisconsin winter this season. One week! I'm turning into a Wisco winter curmudgeon. Yet another mass shooting this past week, this time at a Super Bowl victory party in Kansas City, becoming yet another blip in the media cycle that does nothing to actually change the conversation or our nation's relationship with firearms. More personally, there are so many challenges that face each of us, whether it's watching a loved one slowly slip away, or watching a loved one struggle behind bars, or dealing with the stresses of moving, or feeling financial pressures, or struggling with one's own health, whether that be physical or mental, or frustrations with your work environment, or other difficulties at work or at school. Oh, and there's still plenty of unfilled slots on the worship sign-up for Lent. And we still need to continue to have the conversation on a potential move in church location. Have I Maybe you've gotten your blood pressure up just a little bit. Welcome to Lent! No, look, what I just shared is not what Lent's about. Okay, maybe it's part of it, but it's not the focus or what God wants for us in this season. What I just named to get your blood pressure up a little bit is the kind of stuff that we bring to this season. As Rachel mentioned last week, Amy shared a fantastic message and at one point said, I tend to see Lent not so much as a journey in the wilderness, but a chance to pack for the wilderness journeys that life will undoubtedly send us. That's what this season is. 
It's a chance for us to look at what we need for the journey ahead, a chance to reassess and refocus to help us better prepare for what we're dealing with and what's to come. Does that help with the optics of this season at all? Well, let's look at our passage from Genesis today, the rainbow. If there is one sign of hope, one symbol of love and radical inclusivity, it's the rainbow, right? God makes a unilateral covenant to say that they will never try to wipe out creation again. But hold the phone. Time out. We love this story for the rainbow, but we, we can't ignore what gets us there. What I just said, God makes this promise after almost wiping out all of creation, after committing mass genocide. It doesn't take much sitting with that image in how raw and nightmarish it must have been to see this is not so much a happy little Sunday school story and maybe more troubling than all the things I named a little earlier combined. A God that would destroy all creation? We can't see the power and the importance of the rainbow without naming this divine genocide. To do so is just another way that we simply look away and ignore. It's how we become desensitized to the disasters and genocides in our world. It can lead to such dissonance and hypocrisy as one of the end zones at last week's Super Bowl sharing the message, end racism, coupled with a racist logo right below it. Or overt and awful indifference as going about our lives while whole areas of the world are bombed and whole peoples are killed, injured, and displaced. No, to truly experience, to truly not taste the rainbow skittles, but understand the rainbow, we have to be honest about the unfathomable doom and destruction that it is born out of. Our God has had a change of heart. Wait, does that mean God changes? God changed their mind our God has set his bow in the clouds. He's laid down his weapon, refusing to fight the ineradicable evil in humans, at least with violence and destruction. Instead, God will send a son, which brings us to our gospel reading this week. I've read about this passage from the beginning of Mark not being unlike the scrawl at the beginning of a Star Wars movie. We're still in that initial part of the story, setting the stage. Unlike other Gospels, Mark is just flying through this time in Christ's story. Either he has very different priorities, or maybe just a much better editor than the other Gospels. We see you, longest Gospel, Luke. No hate, Chris. Seriously, though, as much as I love how other Gospels get into each of the pieces of the story that we cover today, as someone who appreciates good storytelling, there is something helpful and insightful about this brief, sparse style that Mark has. Other Gospels would see this as three distinct, different events that usually each warrant a sermon to themselves. We have one, John baptizing Jesus and God naming Christ their son. Two, Jesus being driven out into the wilderness to spend 40 days tempted by Satan and hanging out with wild beasts and waited on by angels. Wait, what? Three, 
John the Baptist is arrested, and Jesus begins his ministry sharing the good news. So let's just quickly look over these three pieces, since upon some reading and reflection, they're pretty important pieces in our Lenten life toolbox, or as Amy said, some of the things to pack for life's wilderness journeys. So first, Christ's baptism. Our Noah story ended with the rainbow and God's love. And our story here in Mark begins with that love manifested in a human being. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? Just to point out that Luke and John omit this, and Matthew explains it away, but not Mark. What did Jesus have to repent of? I read many much more learned, thoughtful minds suggesting that John the Baptist's baptisms were to name and repent from social sins, not personal ones. Maybe, no, it's definitely, because I'm not a great academic and don't grasp the full theological implications of a Christ that would have to be baptized to repent from personal sin, but I don't know. If God can change her mind after a flood, couldn't a human Messiah also change their mind and repent? Maybe that's unsettling to some, but I find a lot of comfort in that. That feels like something we humans could understand. Anyway, Jesus is baptized by John, and the heavens are torn apart, and the Spirit descends like a dove on Jesus. And the voice of God says, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Quick side note that I found pretty interesting. There are two places in Mark where the heavens are torn apart. Here, at Christ's baptism, at the beginning of his ministry, and then again at the very end of his ministry when he dies on the cross. The temple veil is torn apart. Apparently, the outer veil of the temple was essentially a gigantic 80-foot-high curtain that was a Babylonian tapestry with embroidery in blue and fine linen. There's a whole lot more detail, but the gist is that that portrayed on this tapestry was a panorama of the entire heavens. So when Mark says that the temple veil was torn apart, it was a very clear visual of the heavens being torn apart for anyone who knew or had seen the temple veil. I just found that interesting. So Jesus experiences God's love, and the Spirit descends on him, and he's immediately driven into the wilderness. Nice. Unlike other accounts of Jesus in the wilderness, Mark gives us one verse. What goes on for 40 days? It's mainly left to our imagination. Now, as someone who loves film, it reminds me a lot of good storytelling that knows when to let one's imagination fill things in. It lets us consider the wilderness in the context of our own experiences. How have you been in the wilderness? How have you been tempted? Jesus accepts the wilderness. What do we desire or tolerate instead of accepting the wilderness? instead of asking hard questions? How do we distract ourselves instead of dealing with uncomfortable truths right in front of us? Or are there things you have named and accepted? Are there things or temptations you have overcome in your journey? Also, I wonder how Jesus' time as a carpenter prepared him for this and all that's to come. How was this time in the wilderness needed to help him align to God's way, to God's hopes and dreams, instead of what had been his own. 
I think we can all relate to this space, to this wilderness, to this temptation, each in our own way. It's part of being human. It's part of living, right? But remember that first came the love of God and the Spirit drove Christ into the wilderness. We are in the wilderness. We are tempted because God's love compels us, because the Spirit moves us to learn and grow and try. And the only way to learn and grow and try in this life will mean experiencing the wilderness. But we also don't just stay there, do we? Christ doesn't remain alone. No, he will surround himself with people, with God's love in others, as imperfect and messy and tragic as it might be. And here we get to a part of the story that I hadn't really thought about much before, and frankly, I found really moving. Mark begins this portion of the story with, now after John was arrested. Yes, here again, we have a parallel with the beginning and end of Christ's teaching. At the beginning, John the Baptist will be betrayed, arrested, and handed over to the authorities, and at the end, it will be Christ's turn. But more importantly, it is John's arrest that moves Jesus from the wilderness to his ministry. Christ needs John the Baptist not only to baptize him, but to light the fire under him and show him the way out of the wilderness. What actions by others, whether of their own doing or forced upon them, have changed you? Have shaped you? Have shown you a different way forward? Christ's message is born out of the love of God and tested in the wilderness, but it is also given urgency, direction, and purpose by something that happens to a fellow human that he loved and respected. I think that's beautiful and so true to the human experience. So Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee, proclaiming the good news and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent, believe in the good news. He's echoing John the Baptist's call to repent, and he's adding something more, the good news of the coming of the kingdom of God. When we talk about good news, it's easy for us today to just think of Jesus. Some of us grew up with the good news Bible. Or maybe younger folks will think of the first, the early days of the pandemic and John Krasinski's Some Good News web series. But it's really important for us to put this in the context of its time. Jesus is co-opting language used by the empire. Whenever Rome took over a new area or was victorious over another force, they would send out a euangelion, the good news. It was a proclamation to show the force and dominance of the Roman Empire. And here is some dude from a remote corner of the empire, kind of a remote corner even for Israelites, bringing the good news of a very different nature. How does this good news of the kingdom of God undermine or subvert the powerful forces at work in our world today? How does this good news recast what it means to be a human on this earth doing our thing? That can feel like big stuff, and it is, 
but also it's as personal and basic as whatever is going on with you. Repent means to refocus. Where is God at work in you, in our lives? How can you find, how can you make room to refocus and recognize God at work? A big hindrance to making that kind of space can be fear. I feel that all the time. But why? None of us are perfect. What do we have to fear? What do we have to be embarrassed about? We're all touched by loss and hurt and pain and insecurity and fear. We're human. What half-truths do we need to let go? What barriers within ourselves do we need to tear down to let the love of God in? To feel and know that even in the wilderness, God is with us. Christ is with us. The Spirit is with us here at the beginning of Lent. We can see more than just the doom and gloom I named at the beginning. Yes, we see the challenges and temptations. Yes, we experience loss and feel the pain of seeing devastating things happen to people we love. We also hear the message to repent, to refocus, to turn toward God and believe this good news. And we know that wherever we find ourselves, however we feel, all of this is couched in the love of God. Everything is undergirded with hope and love that will carry us through Lent and all of life. Hope and love promised in an unconditional covenant and visually manifested in a rainbow. It was that love that sent us Jesus, and it was that love, the spirit of love, that drove Jesus into the wilderness and compelled him to preach this love, this same love that made a covenant with all creation. And so in response to all those forces and feelings and real things that I named at the beginning of my message, And in the spirit of repenting and believing in this good news that the kingdom of God is at hand, I would like to end by naming some things that believing in this good news means to me. I believe that the kingdom of God is at hand, and neither Trump, nor Biden, nor Putin, nor any other earthly human actor can stop that. I believe that the kingdom of God is at hand, and we must stop desensitizing ourselves and ignoring the challenges of our world. God's love is bigger than hatred and guns and violence and racism and climate change and disease and you name it combined. And because of God's love and the Spirit, we are compelled to name and act. Each of us will do that differently. We won't be compelled in the same way. It will be as unique as every one of us. But we mustn't be overwhelmed by these challenges. God is with us. And so we must lean into what God's love compels each of us to do. And right now, God's love compels me to share some things that I believe that are a little harder for me to say, but they're important for me to name and hopefully helpful for you to hear. I believe that all the saints that have gone before us 
including our big brother Dominic, whose infectious smile and twinkle in his eye lives on with all who loved him. Now know the love of God in a way that we all still cannot fathom. I believe that those of us that lose ourselves in brain-altering drugs or diseases like dementia or Alzheimer's, loved ones like Greg's grandmother or Candy, however far these forces might remove or distort their personality or memory, even if or when they no longer know themselves, let alone any of us, will always have and know the love of God. I believe that we, as a church family, and I myself as a member of this church family, have failed each other. And part of that is just the nature of a small lay-led group trying to follow Christ, but there have been difficult times when we have not shown the love of God in ways we should have. And we can explain that away and make valid excuses, but it doesn't lessen that truth. So if you have experienced that failure of love from this church family, from me, I'm sorry. I believe that whatever the challenges and limitations and frustrations of this church family, we have played an important part in each other's lives. You have played an important part in my life and my spiritual well-being. And I believe that wherever we decide regarding our worship location, we as a church family have an important part to play in God's work in our lives and in our world. I know that I've gotten things wrong probably in some of the stuff I've just said. And I'll continue to make a mess of things in the future. But with this unconditional love, I'll also keep trying. I'll keep trying to follow Christ in ways that are true to me and my journey, and I pray that we as a church family will do the same. Because I'll continue to need you all to help guide me, support me, challenge me, and show me God's love as I continue to try. Ufta. Welcome to Lent. Just like life, it ain't always easy. But also like life, the more honest and open and loving we are, the more opportunity we will have to learn and grow, the more we can help realize the kingdom of God at hand all around us. We'll begin our responding by singing number 636, Spirit Open My Heart. Um, these are new words to a familiar tune.
Thank you so much, Peter, for all of those words, and I'm glad that you have not given up, or what did Lenny say about brevity? I'm glad that you <laughs> didn't stick to that, because everything that you said was, was good. Um, so for the um, prayer, I'm gonna use this purple book, and I'm also just gonna give a little plug for it. If you, there's extra copies in our library that is in the, that cry room. There's shelves in there. We have a library, if you, if you knew that. Um, this has little worships, like little mini worship services for Lent and Easter and everything. There's also a green one for common days. So, um, so if you want, if you want something like that. All right, please pray with me. So when I, when I say, um, in your mercy, you say, Lord, hear our prayers. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But, with the very spirit, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. Sheltering God, we pour out our hearts before you, because you are a refuge for us in your mercy. Lead us with your light and truth. We pray for ourselves and for those dear to us. In your mercy. You provide for the poor and for the stranger. We pray for, the, for our community and for our neighbors. In your mercy. You are the help and hope of your people. We pray for the church in all places that we may be one. In your mercy. All the nations belong to you. We pray for the world that your reign may come and your will be done on earth. In your mercy. We offer you other concerns we carry in our hearts. In your mercy. Hungry Christ, your body is broken in the rocky soil of human vengeance. Lovingly tend and till us that we may, as this day's ending, entrust ourselves into the hands of the merciful one. Amen. Our last song is 832 in the Purple Book, and if you want to stand for that and then stay standing for the benediction. The Lord lift you up. The Lord take your hand. The Lord lead you forth and cause you to stand. Secure in God's word, seeking God's faith abounding in love, abiding in grace.
Do not enter the wilderness alone. May God be with you and may God draw us closer to God's self as we walk in community with one another through this time. Go in peace.